bit exciting. Hope you're excited because we are so excited. Um, what I wanted to do um, just before I started was first of all get myself organised with all these little gadgets and things that I need. But uh, also just to share with you that on Wednesday night um, a group of us went to St Peter's Cathedral for a combined church's um, worship and prayer night. <laughs> was amazing. The next time they have one, it would be awesome if we all went together. Um, can you just imagine being in St Peter's Cathedral and everyone singing, Great Are You, Lord? And it was just phenomenal. So we'll let you know next time we can all, all go together, which would be great. So today, I'm just going to see if this is going to work. Yep, awesome. So today I'm reading from Romans 12, uh, 9 to 13. And it's, I've called it ordinary people doing extraordinary things. So I guess today um, I could stand here and give you some practical applications. Sorry, I'll talk about the microphone. Some practical applications on how to be a good person. Um, I'm not going to do that. But what I am going to do is I'm going to read from um, Romans 12, um, verse 9 to 13. I'm just going to read it from the Message Bible. Love from the centre of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil and hold on to dear life for good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needy Christians and be inventive in hospitality. And I could stand here and give you a three-point sermon on how to do all these, you know, be an extraordinary person. But what I would like to first talk about is the passage that Mark brought last week, which was the beginning of chapter 12, and it just says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And when I was thinking about what to talk about today, that whole sense of renewing of your mind really came to the forefront in that our mind needs to be renewed and reset so that we can actually have love for others coming from the centre of who we are so that it's not fake. It actually comes not from our strength, but it comes from God. And hold on to what is good. What is good? What is a good person? When I googled what is a good person, good old Google, Mother, I'm really sorry, I think I've spelt her name wrong. Mother Teresa, there's a H in there, I did notice this morning. Um, Mother Teresa, she's a good person. She gave up a lot of what she did for, for the good of other people. Queen Victoria was a good person. She decided that she would start, uh, that every child needs to go to school and that she stopped the industrialisation of children. Albert Einstein, very good person because he created... Something amazing. Can you tell me what it is? <laughs> what was it? Theory of relativity. Well done. Marie Curie. Do you know who she is? Yes? Tell me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So she was a chemist and did some cancer stuff and was really good with that. 
Um, princess Diana. She was good. She was a princess. She had nice hair. She, she did. She wore the big vests and she went and helped with landmines and she did a lot of work with children. Now her children are doing some of that work. She was a good person. And uh, I'm just thinking that, you know, Florence Nightingale was someone. Yeah. What did she do? Nursing. Okay. Yep. The lady with the lamp helping the wounded soldiers at night time. So, oh, I'm going to not go back to Moses. I'm just going to leave Florence there for a second. Um, so, growing up, I don't know if you know, but I actually grew up in the Salvation Army. And if you are a salvo, you are every year expected to knock on doors for uh, Red Shield collecting. You need to have a smile. You need to speak nicely. You need to ask for money and you need to be, you know, a nice person. And as part of a salvo, you're actually faced with a lot of marginalised people and people who don't have a lot. And love for marginalised people or people that you don't really know doesn't just come. And I supported Mark for eight years as he pastored a church at Norlunga and every week we faced poverty. Every, every week we kind of faced like a cyclic story of someone that just continued in this downward spiral of life. The love for these people didn't just come. <laughs> Let me tell you, it took a lot. I left my city Salvo Church where I was the leader of the youth group and I was, you know, had a lot of cred with all the kids and the leaders. And then I became pastor's wife and was just, you know, in with the kids. And I really had to dig deep. I really had to get the love for these people from God, not from me. And it was coming from having a relationship with God. It wasn't just asking for it. It was deeply seeking for it. And today, when I talk about the renewing of our mind, it really has a lot to do with the way that we love and the way that we worship. And I loved worshipping this morning, Beck. And I just love when we come into here and it's like we're walking into the throne room and can just worship together. It's awesome. Being immersed in worship can inwardly change who we are. And just uh, as I was reflecting about today, I was actually listening to a sermon about Moses and was reminded how Moses went to Mount Sinai and spent 40 days and 40 nights with God. And it says in Exodus that his face shone with the glory of God. And I just want to read this from... Um, the message version. It says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. Now, I'm hoping that we're not going to be so radiant that people will be afraid to come near us. But I just want you to think about that for a second do our faces shine with the glory of God? Are we actually set apart from the rest of the world? I guess I wanted to share as well about when the Holy Spirit can come, or we allow the Holy Spirit to come inside of us, it inwardly changes something inside of us. It's not something that we can do. It's something that we allow the Holy Spirit to do. And I was talking about this with Laurie the other day. And Laurie said, how cool is it that before 
any trial or battle in the Old Testament, worship would happen first. Worship would always come before a battle. And I thought, thanks, Laurie. Because how often do we try and face life on our own? So when I'm reading Romans 9, it's coming from loving from the centre of who we are, holding on for dear life. Don't hit back discovering the beauty in everyone. Don't hold back discovering the beauty in everyone. And that strength doesn't come from you. And a story that I can share with you is many, many years ago when I was at City Salvos, I was at a camp. And when you're at a camp, it's really cool because you're just constantly immersed in worship. And I was reminded of when we saw the Hohidii Choir a few weeks ago. Those kids were just radiating Jesus because they spend their whole time worshipping, which is amazing. So this camp that I was at, I just felt that most of the conversations were spirit-led not because of anything I was doing, but because I was just being immersed in prayer and in worship. And there was a parent there who was completely disheartened with life, completely disheartened with the way that their child's life was moving. And as the words came out of my mouth, I remember really distinctly that they weren't my words coming out. They were the Holy Spirit's words. And I'm not anyone extraordinary. I'm just an ordinary person just positioning myself in a spot where I was allowing the Holy Spirit to be able to speak through me. And I've had pivotal moments in my life where I can tell you where God's done amazing things. I'll also tell you where there's been some selfish things that I've done in my life where I know that I should have held on to God. But God has really stepped in And it's almost like I can actually feel about the pivotal moments of my life when worship and prayer have been so important that it's almost like benchmarks in my life or turning pages of a chapter of my life where it's God's like, I've got something better for you. Just just allow me to to do what I need to do. And so... um, I was just like in a moment last year where I really felt God saying to me, Kath, I just want you to put the word right in front of you. I just want you to worship. I just want you to pray. I want you to put every distraction away from you. And in that very moment, I open, it's not very often I open up my Bible to a special passage, but I opened it up to Isaiah 54 and it, God just gave me a vision for me personally and professionally. And I just positioned myself in worship. That's all I did. God breathed life. And in that I can see fruit in that. The love that I get from the Holy Spirit, I'm able to use every day in my job. Every day I'm walking into situations where I have children who are suffering significant trauma, significant abuse. Their behaviours are not great. And every day I have to step out of my own stuff put on the armour so that my love for the children comes from God. And in Romans 11.13, it says to be alert, don't quit, pray all the harder. So when our worship comes fervent prayer, it comes the opportunity for us to say, you know what, God, I'm going to lay myself at your feet and allow the Holy Spirit to transform what's inside of me and to renew my mind. Because in doing that comes an outward transformation. So worship could look like that. 
having time where you can pray, read God's word. And in the Passion Translation, it reads that, I don't know if you can read it because it's really small writing and the orange bits, but um, the orange bits, the one I wanted to highlight, but it's probably a little bit hard to read. But it's just saying that being enthusiastic to serve the Lord, keeping your passion towards him boiling hot, radiate with the glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this hope burst forth within you, releasing a continual joy. Don't give up in a time of trouble. I'm coming with God at all times. Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Are you allowing the promptings of the Holy Spirit to be heard in your daily life? Are the distractions that happen around you preventing you from worship? Are you busy? Are you sidetracked? It couldn't be bad busy. It could just be that life gets busy. It doesn't need to be hard because it says in here you don't need to burn out. You keep yourself fueled and aflame. And I really believe that in keeping yourself fueled and aflame, doing that through worship, prayer and reading God's word, that you will be renewed. Your mind will be renewed so that your love can be imparted to other people. So thank you. Just going to move on so that Zoe. You get two mini sermons today. Double blessing, hey? <coughs> Thank you so much, Mark, for giving us this opportunity. It's really wonderful to share the word with another sister in Christ. Um, so just get my little thing up. Gosh, I feel high. Normally I'm down there. This is weird. <laughs> That's okay. We can do this. So my sermon goes on from the verses that Kath has just finished with. So I'm, I'm up to 14, Romans 12, 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible... As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Mm, pretty full on verses. Now, I want to remind us that these verses are the practical outworking, so the response of everything that Paul has explained to us from Romans 1 to 11. So not only is Paul not ashamed of the gospel because it has the power to save, which we heard about in chapter 1, that man is justified by faith and not by works alone, chapter 4, the Holy Spirit has been poured out in our hearts, chapter 5, so that having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him so that we would no longer be slaves to sin, chapter 6. So everything given to us from chapters 1 to 11 is leading and pointing to the outworking of chapter 12. So why is this important for us today? Well, it's important because it means that God is not 
only concerned about our eternal state and our, our, our eternal destiny, but God is also concerned about how we live today. In this life, it says the righteous man shall live by faith. So yes, the gospel is great news for sinners, but even more and often overlooked is that it is good news and has power for, for Christians today. And particularly in our striving against the effects of sin. So, chapter 12, Paul is, is giving us a roadmap of what it looks like to be a living sacrifice. And our job, is, as a Christian, is to understand what that really means. In every circumstance, in every age, in every context, and, and bring this to life. And two things really struck me as I was wrestling with these verses. And I must admit, I found preparing for this sermon more agonizing than the other ones. I, I don't know why, but it's, I just found these verses really challenging, really convicting. And what spoke to me was that every single one of these verses in Romans 12, if you, you go away and read that this week yourselves, every single one you will see lived out in the life of Jesus. And you will find it in the Gospels. And when I, I just, that just kept coming to me and I just kept thinking, Jesus, be my teacher, be my teacher. I want my life to look like yours. And, and it also struck me that last week when, when Mark, I don't know if you were here, but we broke us up into groups and we were thinking about what is it, what, what are the patterns of the world? What is, it, what is Paul saying when he says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world? Well, all the answers are in, are in here because I'm talking about like in terms of the patterns of the world because everything that Paul is saying is the opposite of what the world is doing. And we are called to move in the opposite spirit and that will cost us something and it's hard. But, you know, like when you walk upstream, walk up river, walk up a river, you know, you've got the power of the river against you it's, there's a resistance there and it's going to cost us something, but the fruit will be eternal and, and the blessing will be amazing if we're willing. So I'm just going to draw out three, three of these. You could do a sermon on each one. <laughs> I'm not going to. Um, so I'm just going to draw out three that I think really spoke to me. So first one is weep with those who weep. And I'm guessing if you're a man, this is not your favourite verse because men don't cry, do they? Well, they're not supposed to, no. Um, I wish I had that problem. <laughs> I get emotional at childcare when they sing the Mother's Day song. It's embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but I, I think this is really important because entering into someone else's grief and actually identifying with them can be a struggle for, for a lot of reasons. Like, grief is... Grief can make us uncomfortable. Or, you know, or we think, oh, maybe we shouldn't grieve because God's sovereign. And no, no. You know, or we, we worry that we might, oh, if, we, if I grieve and sort of cry and identify with them, then am I just allowing them to stay in that, that sort of space, that grief and bitterness? No. There's this proverb in 20, Proverbs 25, 20. Um, Sorry, just preface that. Sometimes we think that instead of actually grieving with them, we think, oh, it would be better just to try and cheer them up. Well, there's a proverb that says in 2520, like the one who takes away a garment in cold weather 
And like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. So, in other words, there is a time for cheering up, but we need to be sensitive to that timing. There's a time to actually identify and weep with those who weep. And then sometimes when we actually do enter into that person's emotional world, rather than weep with them, we just try and fix the problem, don't we? But part of compassion is sympathising and identifying with someone even when you might have a solution to their problem. And I think the greatest example of that is that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus in love for his friend and for Martha and Mary, even when he knew that he was going to be raised from the dead. It says, Jesus wept and the Jews said, see how he loved him. And to me, that speaks volumes because even knowing all of that, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He loved them so much. He was moved with compassion. He couldn't help but hold back and grieve with them, even though he knew what was coming. So wanting to help and solve solve people's problems, that's not wrong, but, but compassion first enters into their world. And I think in our ever-increasing busy lives, the reason I mentioned, I drew this one out, is because very few people have time now for face-to-face, hand-to-hand ministry. And, I'm, you know, when it, when it matters most, and, you know, sometimes we just think a text will suffice, and yes, there is a time for a text, but it's just so important that we remember there is no substitute for face-to-face ministry. I remember in, um, a few years back when I visited my brother in San Francisco and he was at the lab one day and I just went out with Pastor Zia, the pastor of Dan's church. Um, I just tagged along for the day. And we went to visit an Arabic family and this elderly um, grandmother had just received the news that her granddaughter, uh, sorry, his, sorry, her grandson had been killed at, um, serving in the Iraqi army. He'd been killed in a motorbike accident. And it had, like, the news was raw. And we walked into this home. I felt so uncomfortable. I thought, oh, what am I doing here? I don't know these people. But it just hit me so much. Like, there was, all the family had gathered to mourn, to grieve together. They were all just crying and crying. And Pastor Ziad just, he, he went straight into that. He just went cut straight into that situation, into that raw grief. And instead of, you know, me thinking, oh, they're going to think, what am I doing here? They were just so grateful. They were just so grateful that we cared, that we came, that we prayed with them, that we shared the gospel of the, and the good news. And that really hit me. Because I don't know if we do grief very well in our culture, but yes, there's a time for private grief, but there's a time to mourn together. And I think Christ, and I think, this is, and I think what Paul is, is, he's trying to draw this out. The second verse that I'm drawing out is, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. And I'm just going to be honest and say that I struggled with this one the most. I struggled to even know how to write this because I I feel like this is not... I don't see this, like the outworking of this in my own life enough. 
And yet, I struggle with that because I know that's where Jesus shows up the most. And I just love this quote from Heidi Baker. I don't know if you know Heidi Baker. She does incredible work in Africa. And I just love this. She says, People often ask me why we see so many more miracles among the poor than among the wealthy, comfortable Westerners. The answer is simple. The poor know they are in need. They know what it is to be desperate and hungry. And they turn that desperation and hunger toward him. They stay desperate. They stay hungry. God lifts up the humble and he fills the hungry with good things. I haven't asked permission to share this um, story, Brenton, so forgive me afterwards. Um, but I, I have just, I just have, I cannot not share this because this has impacted me personally and I know a number of people in this church have been impacted so much by this. But I can't remember, it was either early this year or late last year, Brenton Roberts was driving to work. He went through the city, he drove past a car, all the windows were smashed in. And as he drove past, he sort of took him by surprise. And as he drove past, he saw two little, ki two little kids crawling out of the back window. And he kept driving and he agonised, do I turn around? I'm going to be late for work. Anyway, he did turn around. They'd gone, the people had gone, but he went and got bread and milk, left in the car with a note with his phone number. And sure enough, the grandmother called him later. They'd been, they'd basically had fled Ali Karang where there'd been terrible violence. Their house had been smashed in. They were on the run from there. And, um, and Brenton uh, and Libby, basically, and the journey that they've been on has been incredible. But they um, entered into that situation and helped, have helped and continue to help. And to me, it's just such a testimony because a lot of people, I think, even, you know, I'm, I'm talking Christians as well, but, you know, you might just have helped for that one day. You might have just felt, oh, that was my good deed for the week, got some bread and milk, you know. But they've followed through. They have followed through. And to me, that like, and this is what I mean about being a living sacrifice, it will cost something. It will mean driving to a suburb on the other side of Adelaide. It'll mean giving up time. It'll mean giving up quality time or recreational. Like, it'll, it'll, it'll cost something. But, again, the blessings are eternal. The fruit is eternal. And I just, yeah, and I just can't not share that because I know in, my, in our own small group and everyone, you know, it's just, it has really impacted us. It's been a real witness to us. Um, and I know that God is working and I know that, rather than stand up here and condemn myself or make you feel condemned, that's not what I'm here to do. What I want to show you is that the Holy Spirit rejoices in these things. The Holy Spirit inside of you longs to associate with people of low position. He does. And so what is your dream? What is the thing that God calls you to do? And for me personally, I have a dream, I've shared this with my women's group, small group, I have a dream of one day leading a Bethmore Breaking Free Bible study with women in prison. One day. That's, that's my dream. That's what the Holy Spirit is crying out in, in me to do at the right time. But, so today, I just, I just, this week, just think about, well, 
Lord, if that's what you want us to do, show me, show me where you want me to do that in my life. Who are the people with low position in my life that, that you want me to associate with, that you want me to reach out to? And the last one is, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This verse follows other exhortations Paul talks about. Bless those who persecute you. Do not repay anyone for evil. Now, this is a challenging one because it, it, it's, it's, it's commanding us to set aside our natural response, which is to get even. And, it, you know, it's easy to read this. And I think particularly as a man, I think you could read this and think, oh, great, being a Christian is just being a pushover. So I just get trampled all over. Great. No. No. I'm hoping I can show you no. When someone hurts you, yes, it's, it's natural to want to hurt them back. But we know that that kind of vicious cycle just brings destruction. You know, you would have seen it in your families, you see it in your workplaces all the time. And if you, you, you can see how, how quickly, how ugly things become very quickly. And if you don't, just, if you haven't seen that, just go hang out at the family court for a day or the magistrate's court and you'll see the destruction that revenge brings. But what is not so easily understood by the world is that those who take revenge are conquered. And those who forgive are conquerors. Seeking revenge is not a sign of strength, but of weakness. It takes much greater strength to overcome the desire for revenge. So how do we actually overcome evil with good? What does that look like? Well, I'm just going to suggest a few things, but I think, first of all, tackle it in the spiritual. We need to recognise that we're not battling against flesh and blood, but the principalities and powers of the evil world. So that might require you to fast and to pray over a particular situation. But also... You've got to surrender that. Whatever that evil tactic is against you, you've got to surrender that to God. So you, can just, so you can actually put aside your flesh and the way that you want to respond in the flesh and wait for the Holy Spirit to show you. And I can tell you that holding a grudge is the biggest roadblock for the Holy Spirit to show you how to respond. So it might be tackling it with the truth. It might be tackling it with prayer. It might be in practical kindness. And, and I just, I think that verse is that where, where Paul says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace. I think that's really liberating and it's really good for us to remember that verse. I've come back to that verse a few times because I know there are people, I've had conversations with people in this church who've really struggled in their family situations where it doesn't matter what they do, they just can't bring reconciliation. And I know that's really hard, but... Sometimes people just don't like us, particularly for being a Christian, particularly in families. And so in that situation, you can't force it. You just can't. But as my wise older brother who's here today once told me, I, I remember this, he said, yes, but in that situation, it's your responsibility not to do anything that would destroy the relationship." not to destroy the relationship. 
that, that, that you know, in the sense that it would cut them off forever. Because then you just, then you leave no room for God to work. And I think it's really important to remember that Paul is showing us here, like, the keys to transformed relationships. This is not some lofty ideal of how the world should work. This is real. By surrendering himself to the will of the Father, Jesus conquered sin, Satan and death. That was a legal transaction. So if we're willing to do the same, to surrender our flesh in that situation, we can expect great results. Not based on anything in us, but based on what Christ has done in defeating death, in defeating evil. Because evil can't drive out evil, can it? An evil response doubles evil. And when we respond to evil with humility and grace, we prove that good triumphs over wickedness. When I was a teenager, I read um, The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom, and it impacted me, this particular little bit that I'm going to share with you. It impacted me so much that it has been the reference point throughout my whole life of forgiveness. Whenever I'm struggling to forgive, I just, I'm brought straight back to that and I think I have no excuse. And I'll tell you why. I don't know if you know this story, but I'll just basically tell you that. So Corrie Ten Boom was um, in a Dutch family. Um, So they were Dutch, not Jews, but they hid a number of Jews during uh, Nazi Germany um, in the persecution. And her father in particular was a beautiful man, a watchmaker, and they hid a number of Jews for a number of uh, years of the war, but were then caught. And so they also, even though they were not Jews, were sent to concentration camps. Corrie watched her sister, her beautiful sister, Betsy, um, be put to the gas chamber, her parents. She unbelievably survived. That in itself is another miraculous story. But anyway, as a result of that, she... um, travelled, it's quite incredible, left Holland, travelled to defeated Germany after everything she'd been through to spread the message of the cross and forgiveness. Right? But as she's delivering her message, she didn't know that one of the prison guards who were at Ravensbrook, who put her sister in the gas chamber, was in the audience and he was one of the cruelest guards And I'm not going to summarise this. I'm just going to read this because you have to hear it. So she's she's just given her message. Now he was in front of me. Hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him. 
and the leather crop swinging from his belt, I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And the hand, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I had ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus said, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not, only as the commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I'd had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. But even so, I realised it was not my love. I had tried and did not have the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit, as recorded in Romans 5.5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Isn't that amazing? That's, that's my reference point. It's just amazing. Now, so, to close. The verses in, in Romans 12 are not a list of commandments to condemn you or a measuring rod to see how your life stacks up. It's the life that Jesus won for us by setting us free from sin and death. And his life is poured out in us. Every one of you can weep with those who weep. Every one of you can associate with the lowly. Every one of you can show kindness to his enemy. Let's go and live that life. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.